Welcome to It's a Music Thing, a podcast about music. Each week, your host tries to bring stories from artists and others in the music industry. Go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Check us out on all social media. Instagram, at It's a Music Thing MB. Facebook, It's a Music Thing. And the website is itsamusicthing.com. If you feel so inclined, you can drop your host, Dwayne Larson, an email. It's a music thing, MB at gmail.com. Without further ado, here is your host, Dwayne Larson. and welcome back to It's a Music Thing, the podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Larson. On today's show, I am super excited. This is, again, I, I love learning about new music and new bands. And this is one of those one of those things where I'd never heard of this band before. Got their, you know, the re-release or pre-release album. Gave it a listen and I was just like, holy shit, this is really good. And it kind of just brought me back to, you know, the... The olden days of punk, if you want to call it that. And, okay, I'll just get right to it. Who I'm talking about and who I talked to on this uh, this conversation. I talked to the vocalist, Matt, uh, from the band Desperate Acts. They just released the new album, just released, air quotes, on September 10th. Uh, this uh, new album called State Secrets on Sabam. And it, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's really good, everybody. You should... Definitely go check it out and, you know, thank you for continuing to support the podcast. I know I took a little bit of time off earlier. Uh, You know, life just gets in the way and sometimes that's just the way things got to be. But thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast, for talking about the podcast, for putting it all out there, telling your friends, telling your enemies, telling your frenemies. So here is my conversation with Matt from Desperate Acts. All right, I guess uh, first and foremost, who am I speaking with today? My name is Matt Kyle, and I play guitar and sing in a band called Desperate Axe. And Matt, like I like I said, kind of off the air, you're my first one back, and you're 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 popping my fall cherry, if you want to call it that. Absolutely. Um, and so, one of the first questions I always like to ask is, do you remember the first time you heard music that wasn't like a lullaby or kind of a kid's thing when it really captured your attention? You know, I, I don't know if I recall the first time clearly, like in order to separate it from anything else, but I do remember the first thing that really captured my imagination would for sure have been Metallica. Like for sure. Yeah. Because uh, I, I can recall being in first house with my parents that I remember clearly that we moved into when I was five or six. And I remember seeing uh, the documentary that was about their big two year stint on the road, uh, you know, kind of black album era. Yeah. I remember seeing that and becoming really fascinated with, you know, their, their touring and what their shows looked like and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and that would have been um, my first CD and my first cassette for sure would have both been Metallica. 
it's it's so interesting hearing i i love that question just because it brings up like when i when i had fred penner on his was i think some kind of like um like orchestral thing that like something that his his folks were listening to and everyone is so different and i love it it's just it's very interesting yeah well i think my my parents were into music but at that period of life it was like they were so mired in the middle-aged raising of kids and work Mm -hmm. and everything that it's almost like they put that part of their lives aside for a while so it was it was a while before I became aware of my parents' interest in music. And we, we didn't play it around the house. Okay. You know, the ra- the radio was on in the car, but they mm. weren't what I would call, like, outwardly musical people at that time. They had their record collections, but they were, you know, collecting dust in the basement. So I was kind of free to get into my own things before I was aware of their stuff. And, like, your did your parents play music at all? Or was it strictly, like, just like you said, just the radio kind of on in the background? My dad played drums a little bit I think in high school and maybe they had a kit in his house but uh, you know it was one of those things that was totally dormant mm-hmm. like he didn't bring that with him into adulthood so when my high school bands would practice in our house and our drummer set was there my dad would sit down on it and jokingly play for you know 15 seconds yeah but that was it it never went any further than that yeah oh that's too bad I I, I hate hearing when and I know I again I don't have kids or anything so I don't know I know that they take up a lot of a person's time, but just to hear stories like that, when people just kind of give up, even if you're just playing for fun, like even if you just have your room where you play for 10, 15 minutes, do you think that ever like bothered him as he grew older? I don't know if it bothered him as much, but his brother, my uncle was a really talented guitar player who played, you know, in like gospel acts and some rock bands or whatever. And I recall, uh, when I played in Detroit, where my, my dad's family's from, uh, they were at that show, my, a lot of my uncle and his, my uncles and their families. And I remember him saying, oh, that kind of makes me wish, it, it makes me remember playing and wishing that I hadn't put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing, he was just mired in raising children and work and everything, yeah. and it, it fell off. And I don't, I don't think in their world, you know, they weren't attached to music the way you and I were, where there was this kind of, DIY world where you can just do it in yeah. any, in any scope and it's valid, right? For them, it was well, this isn't going anywhere, so therefore, I'm gonna set it aside. Yeah, gonna gonna have the the house, the wife, the kids, the just just do that kind of thing. Then, yeah, I think for sure. And so you know, when you're growing up and music's like you said, music's around the house and everything. Do you remember the first like? I hate saying this because people that go to like DIY shows. Do you remember the first concert that you went to? Um, you know, I I have a feeling it would have been we had this big corny outdoor festival called Rock Fest where I grew up, mm-hmm. uh, which any of my friends listening to this will start laughing. But it was <laughs> like at that time, you know, in the mid '90s, it was classic rock, so it would have been like sticks ario speedwagon grand funk railroad eventually yeah. like motley crew and stuff like that and we would go to that um you know my dad loved it and his buddies would bring me and you know some of my friends and it'd be three three nights in a row in the summer and all that kind of stuff you know yeah. and i i just i have to assume that that would have been the earliest thing i was exposed to first concert uh, it, it just had to have been just yeah. thinking about it timing wise. I mean, that's not, that's not a bad way. Cause it sounds like you got into heavy music very early on into kind of like your musical experience. 
For sure. And, and, you know, I alluded to earlier that was all kind of dormant from my dad's uh, for at least in a household aspect. But yeah. my parents, my parents grew up, you know, in Detroit in the 70s and 80s and they loved hard rock. So mm-hmm. when they did start letting letting on to what they listened to, it was, you know, the Rolling Stones, but but also Alice Cooper and, you know kiss and stuff like that that was like well this is what we would party to yeah so then you know when that rock fest came and it was total kind of, you know somewhat oh i'm sure it was tongue-in-cheek and pathetic but also kind of awesome that it was like loud and very boisterous yeah and i'm sure you know the people that are there i've, I've gone to something very similar where i got to see like sammy hagar play yeah and like it was absolutely it was very interesting i mean i was like freshly out of high school, like 18 years old, I'd gone to shows. Like I'd been going to shows for a couple of years at that point, but that was one of my first, like, I guess, big rock concerts, if you want to call it that. And just seeing, well, I call them old people now because I'm probably that age that, you know, seeing old people partying was just so foreign to me. And it was so funny. Yeah. It, it, it's almost, and this festival was like that where it's like, all of the dads and soon to be dads or guys that weren't aware they were dads (laughs) getting, getting together in this cornfield and just like parting their asses off. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, me and my friends were like 12, 13. And while our dads were up watching these bands, some of which we didn't care if we'd just be wandering around and just seeing people like, going for it, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like not, not having a beer after work, but like it's 1978 again, and we're going to, put it in you know like yeah going for it and uh yeah it was super uncomfortable and and when i got to the stage of going to punk shows especially smaller ones you know then you're reaching the teenage years of like well i don't i hate i actually actively hate this culture now mm. like for a small time and then you see them partying that way and you're like you just you have nothing in common with them like you can't talk to them you don't want to talk to them like you don't want to dance the way they dance like everything about it is like yeah this is whack this is not what i'm into and so where you're you're in minneapolis right now correct yes and so where did you grow up was it in was it in minnesota no i grew up in eau claire wisconsin which is right over the border from the twin cities minneapolis st paul okay um this was you know minneapolis was the next nearest major you know city so this is where we'd come for you know most concerts or whatever yeah can you do you remember the first or actually even before that when did you start kind of start getting into like like punk rock hardcore when when was that in your kind of musical timeline um that that would have been kind of a natural offshoot of skateboarding Mm. i think like me and my friends were firstly we all played street hockey and we all played hockey and we played street hockey in the summers which was, you know, rollerblades and that kind of led into, oh, there's the X games. And yeah. There's this vans, right? And, you know, you kind of slowly, it kind of dawns on you that there's this music uh, culture. And it wasn't as cool as like, oh, he got my older cousin got me into Thrasher or something like that. It was yeah. like, oh, there's a, Vans puts out this festival called the Warp Tour and here's a CD with a bunch of bands that play on it in like 1998 or whatever. Yeah. For, I, I think that was the gateway, if I'm honest with myself. And so, I mean, growing up in a, in a smaller town, it sounds like me and you parallel in many, many ways, because I grew up in a small town called Estevan, Saskatchewan, which okay. 
was like around 10,000 people. And then the next, the biggest city, like we had to travel two hours into Regina to go to any kind of shows. Yeah. So, so I mean, did you, did you start playing music um, while you were growing up? Yeah, we, me and some other buddies, I mean, I was into like orchestral band, uh, jazz band. I played trumpet and then started playing bass. Uh, My buddy Seth played drums and you know, those of us that like this whole band geek world within my middle school and then later high school, we were all into different kinds of music. And some of us who were maybe into skateboarding, for example, started to pick up on punk. And then it was like, well, I can play bass and you can play drums and our other buddy can kind of play guitar. So why don't we get together and try and figure out, um, you know, this Green Day song or this Boss Tone song and then this Bad Religion song and then whatever else. It's kind of like, in, you know, like you said, in a small town, you didn't have, it's not like you'd go around the corner and there was a hundred punks standing there. It was more like, you yeah. kind of naturally found it together with people you were friends with anyways. And some of them came along for the ride and some didn't. Uh, so we started playing music at a very young age and getting into, you know, what you and I are talking about mm. eighth grade, freshman year, something like that. And so, you know, you're, you're playing those covers. Did you, were you writing original stuff at that point too? And, and what, I mean, I'm, I'm not assuming it's any good. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm sure it wasn't multi-platinum stuff, but were were you guys trying to write your own songs? Eventually. Yeah. Uh, I remember freshman year of high school, like the first show I played was this battle of the bands where it's like the rules were something like you had to be able to play five or six songs for your set you had to record a demo to like, it's almost like a proof of concept to yeah. the organizers that like you could do it. Yeah. And I think you, I don't know if at that time we would have recorded an original, but you know, we were getting into really simplistic pop punk where that was the cue that was like, you can do this. Mm-hmm. If, you under, if you can cover these, you can more or less um, imitate, you know, the patterns of it. And yeah, we tried to write songs that were like pretty charming in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, but you know, completely pathetic and in, in other ways. Right? And, and, and I, I, this is a two-parter and I've got to ask, what was the first band's name and are there demos out there somewhere in, in the world? Oh, for sure. My man, uh, <laughs> the first band was called the Jasons, like literally the Jasons. Yeah. And I can recall me and my buddies like fighting so hard. Like, what are we going to call this band for the battle of the bands? You got, you got to have something. And I would give anything to have like a transcript of all the ideas that were thrown around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was it. And then, yeah, you, like you said, we had to record a demo just to play this battle of the bands. And um, I have a CD copy of it that I sent a picture to my friend Seth of earlier this year. I was like, holy shit, look at this. Cause I, I had to unearth everything from my parents' house. They, you know, I'd moved enough in adulthood. They're like, you mm-hmm. got to take all this with you. And I had this like, you know, Rubbermaid case and inside was the demo. From oh, that. that's and so it's, great. It's just awesome. Like the set, I think Seth did the graphic design and it's super, you know, it's pixelated. It was the best we could do. And yeah. then there's like a burned CD inside where we of course put there was. actual like stickered label over the top. Like we went for it. We did it. <laughs> oh man. I remember those days when it, uh, God, I feel old when I say that, but you know, when you, you discover new music through, through demos and, you know, a little bit, little bit online, but it was all like people handing out demos or for $2 or five bucks or whatever. 
Yeah. And we pretty quickly, I mean, we took those steps pretty fast where it's like, all right, well, we can record a better demo mm-hmm. with songs we wrote and then start mass producing it and passing it out. And, you know, at that stage, it's like, it's such a novelty that anybody's doing that mm-hmm. you know, in your small town, in your high school, that it's like you press a hundred copies and your friends just buy the 100 copies. And like, Oh, well that was easy. Yeah. Like it was easier to do it then than like now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah exactly. Like the, the novelty has worn thin. And you know, be, being uh, both of us from small towns, I didn't play anything. So I gravitated more towards the promotion side of things. So I started putting on shows. Did you guys do that as well? Or did you kind of let other people do that? And then you just kind of hop on bills or play shows whenever you could? Yeah, we, we had to do them by ourselves because mm-hmm. nobody was offering. <laughs> yeah. For, you know, at the time we had like an underdog mindset of like, hey, don't get it. We're, we're, we're going to do it ourselves. But really it was like, rightfully so nobody was offering yeah because <laughs> we sucked um but we found a town hall in an even smaller town like right next door to ours where it's like you know they were just eager for anything because it was, people weren't hosting events or yeah so it's like yeah well let us host this event and i think you know like our, even our parents like our guitar players parents were involved in like helping us bring the pa there and set it up and like rent enough chairs or yeah else. i was like you know the the town halls they, they didn't know what they were getting into but nope. we'd bring like every band from our high school that we knew about we would invite like hey let's put all five of us on this show yeah whether they make sense together or not and then like half the high school it felt like would show up because mm-hmm. it was like, like again such a novel idea that anybody was doing this and everyone was simultaneously discovering their love for you know alternative music or whatever so yeah you have a jam band and a metal band and the punk bands all on one show and we'd have a bunch of people out and make a bunch of money for that town hall who i'm sure took all of it yeah but yeah we we had to do that it, it was that for it what felt like ever you know we do two or three of those a year and then those were the shows that we played yeah i mean yeah that that is again very parallel to what i had to do there wasn't, you know, I, I used up every town hall, Legion hall that would let me play into it until they figured out that it's like, Oh, there's a bunch of drunk miners here because I mean, they, they, they wouldn't be allowed to drink in the show. I I kept that ship pretty tight, but outside there was cans bottle. Like I'd clean up the best I could afterwards, but it, you know, there's only so many things you can do. When you, you learn a lot of skills doing that. Definitely right? transfer to the rest of your life. Like you're, I think you're good to organize a lot in your professional and personal life after having done that as a teenager. Yeah. There's, and, there's a lot of skills you learn the hard way. Yeah. And just dealing with people. And thankfully, I know, I don't know. Did you guys ever get touring bands in like, not just, um, you know, local, local folks, but like try to bring someone in from like Minnesota or Minneapolis or anything. Well, so there, there's a gap in there where, some of those town hall shows became big enough that like the older guys who promoted, you know, real punk shows Mm -hmm. started coming to flyer for it. Oh, nice. Um, And that's, and that's what kind of tapped us into that world where we'd get invited to play those shows. Mm -hmm. And there's a pretty popular basement in town that would have like, you know, national touring bands come through. If you're coming between Minneapolis and Chicago, uh, it's a six hour drive and they may stop in Eau Claire and play at that point. So, so I wasn't at that point booking, you know, those kinds of bands, mm-hmm. but later on in life, uh, kind of same thing when I was in college, um, uh, and I was playing in hardcore bands and stuff, a lot of promoters in Minneapolis would go, well, 
I don't want to do this show. We don't have an audience for this. And I would do it in Eau Claire at, yeah. that, at that point. Uh, and Eau, Eau Claire shows were always awesome because I'm sure you can relate to this. Those small town crowds are just as excited about music and oh, they're not man. spoiled. They're not spoiled. By no. It, right. So, and bands it, make out like bandits there because yeah, you know, nobody ever comes there or rarely comes there. So like, I remember bands, I'd only be able to pay them whatever it was, a few hundred bucks after I got done paying for like the PA, the hall, all that crap. But they would clear like seven, $800 on merch because everybody yeah. buys something. Absolutely. And I, and when, you know, Minneapolis was going through kind of a dormant stage uh, and bands weren't having great shows there, word spread a little bit that you'd come to Eau Claire and have these bonkers shows because it was like, like I said earlier, it was a bunch of weirdos who had come together for these shows because that was the option. Yeah. It's not like, you know, it's not like in some major cities, you know, today where if you're into a really specific subgenre, you can be into that because mm -hmm. there's six bands in your town that play it and the touring bands will come do that. Like places like Eau Claire don't have that option. It's like, if you're into music, well, here's the show tonight and yeah. you'd have a lot of, a lot of people come out and they would dance and buy merch and sing along and be friendly to the bands and put them up. It was like a great transitional spot. They weren't huge shows, but, but everyone had, yeah, everyone had fun. And so yeah. how, how long did the, uh, the Jason's, how long did that run for? Uh, in retrospect, probably about eight months. <laughs> it became a band called big zero. Okay. Also, you know, felt like it lasted for all of high school, but probably lasted for about a year, uh, which was the same thing. Just like, me and my best friends, like, how, how can we keep doing this? Yeah. And, that, and we kind of learned to put one foot in front of the other while doing that. It's like, well, let's not just record a demo. Let's try and record a CD. Mm -hmm. uh, and then let's try and go play Minneapolis. Let's try and play out in Wisconsin further, you know, stuff like that. And is that the first time you kind of, kind of dipped your toe into actual like touring, getting outside of like your town in, you know, Minneapolis? I guess you could put it that way. We'd travel to play one or two shows. I mean, mm -hmm. by that point, we were very aware, or at least I was very aware that that was an option, right? Yeah. Because now you're a little older and you're going out of town to see shows and you're seeing these national touring bands. And I was very fixated on that idea mm -hmm. that, you know, whether you were good or not, it's like, well, we can try and go do this adventure that, you know, is plausible on a small scale. And <clears throat> excuse me. So you, you mentioned that you went off to, to college. What did you go to, to school for? Uh, almost nothing at <laughs> first. And then yeah. I studied, I studied journalism, uh, through the communications department, which also was music related. So there was a festival in the twin cities called thrash fest. That was this really big legendary hardcore festival and international bands would come and do it and beforehand they do um a kind of a warm-up show for that with some of the bands from the fest called pre-thrash uh which ended up happening in eau claire and a buddy of mine asked me if i'd help him promote that he lived in minneapolis and he said hey we're gonna have some of the bands play earlier in eau claire do you want to help and i was you know 19 or whatever i was like yeah of course i'll help i know yeah. what to do and i had no idea what to do but there was a alt weekly magazine in our town that promoted all this culture and i contacted them and said hey all these like swedish and japanese hardcore bands are going to descend on eau claire and play will you guys run a story about it 
And they said, yeah, but we don't know anything about that shit. So you're going to have to do it. Yeah. Oh, okay, I guess. And then uh, I cobbled together, you know, I could write enough that I cobbled together an article, which is really funny because in retrospect, I interviewed like Felix Havoc who ran Havoc Records and I like this band from Sweden. Like I conned them all into talking to this 19 year old. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm the journalist. Yeah. And, uh, and it like, like many things in my life, it was a total accident where I did this article and I was like, okay, well that was fun. Like that was kind of cool. And the people at the magazine said, Hey, you did a great job do you want to interview atmosphere, you know, the rapper? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then I started writing for them a bunch of articles and that, you know, I needed to do something while I was at college, mm -hmm. just taking up time. And so went into journalism. And did you, I mean, I know I've, I've talked to many, many people. Did you ever do an interview where you actually got very nervous about the person you were going to talk to? Because either you knew that they, they might be a little volatile or even you're a huge fan and you just, you know, you, you don't want to come off as like a total fanboy. I don't, I don't know if I had that much opportunity. And I think really early on, I was cowardly enough that I did it by email, you know, oh, okay. I'm like, you know, it was, this was pre podcast era, obviously yeah. I, I did interview atmosphere over the phone. Um, but you know, pretty cool quickly I, I kind of got out of that world but maybe some I, I interviewed um you know some some hardcore bands where I was like I, I like this band and I know this guy's a dick I just have a sense but you know yeah. I'll give him a shot and uh it went fine yeah <laughs> I, I, yeah I would love you know same thing I'd love to go see a transcript of that and go Matt what kind of questions were you asking these guys and yeah I've, I've got an, badly did you blow it I, I've got an old kind of like mini recorder that still has a bunch of stuff on it. Cause I, I was the same way. Like I'd, I'd interview them in person, but I'd have to like, ha and then I'd have to like transcribe bits of it and stuff. And I did one with, uh, with Russ Rankin. Oh yeah. And I would, and it was all about hockey. It, it would, there was nothing, nothing band related. It was just all about how he was a scout for, I think at that point, the Kamloops Blazers up here or in BC, um, so, I mean, I, I've played hockey. I know hockey that was easy enough, but I'm just like, he, he, he's a very monotone kind of man. He doesn't really get excited. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I was like, is he going to be a dick? But he was very sweet and he's very nice. Do, did you have any kind of, you know, formal training before you got into interviewing? Did no. You have, do you have a background in broadcasting? Not at all. I just kind of like threw shit on the wall and see what stuck. And it's like, oh. Okay. That works. Yep. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And especially with this podcast, once I've kind of figured out that it's like, I mean, I, I want to learn more about the people than just the newest band that they're in, you know, like sure. to me, that's, I, I'd, I'd like to know people's musical journey and you know how they came up and you know, the first shows and the first bits of music to me, that's the very interesting stuff. And I mean, as is like, I just don't want to be one of those guys. It's like, so How's the new record? Yep. Yeah. That's good. So this guy produced it. That's cool. How is that? Which is still very relevant and very interesting, but there's just more to it than your newest record, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, you, you sound very natural at it. And it, I, you know, you sound like someone who has been around it a while, which you've done a bunch of episodes. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I've been to enough shows. I've seen enough things. I've been to enough shows that, I don't remember, which is also yeah. very fun, <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. 
just actually uh, had one of those a couple days ago and I'm, I'm too old to drink that many beer and function normally the next day. Yeah. Music is back, but it's, uh, it's back. Our, our endurance is not, not no, back. it's, you know, we gotta, we gotta work up to it again. And so, you know, you're, you're going to school. Did you end up graduating college? I did. Yeah. With, with a degree in journalism. Yeah, absolutely. And then my, my first job was actually back with that magazine that first hired me. Um, I was, it was a really weird thing. So uh, the band I was in at the time had a summer tour planned for immediately after graduation. Uh, and I didn't really have a plan after that, mm -hmm. but they, you know, because I was on the email role for this magazine, they sent out an ad saying, Hey, we're hiring advertising people. Um, I was like, Oh, well, I want to work there. I just like being around those people. And yeah. Maybe I can segue it into something else. So I interviewed for that and got the job. So went into media sales, uh, which is a very different, uninteresting story. But so like went on tour that summer, came back and immediately started like selling for that magazine. So this magazine that got me into writing um, did not have a job for a writer, uh, as is very common mm. on planet Earth, uh, but had a job for a salesperson. So I went into that, which is then, you know, shaped another whole part of my life. Yeah. And that the band that you went on tour with, what which which band was that this was a hardcore band called regret okay uh which put out a couple records between like 2005 and 2007 or something or yeah 2004 2007 um which played winnipeg a couple times okay. actually uh and and toured a few times but we always were kind of like a failure to launch band like we couldn't <laughs> it was like one of us would have something happen and we or we'd lose members um we were like a bathtub with four holes punched in it uh, in terms of money. We just yeah. saved money. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that, that was, that ended up being our last tour actually. And uh, our guitar player had a baby after that. And I was like, all right, we're done. And was that one of the first bands that actually like proper toured, like went out and like you said, you said you came to Winnipeg a couple times. Yeah. One, one of them, uh, I was in a band. I actually left high school a semester early with a band called Silvering that I played bass in uh, again with my buddy Seth, who I've referenced earlier. And we did, we did two or three tours okay. uh, before I started college. And then after freshman year of college, but regret was a band that actually had, you know, we put out records with a proper label and did proper support tours mm -hmm. kind of went after it. Um, basically the entire time I was in college, like winter break, we'd go on tour summer break we'd go on tour um and did and did, did you guys get a it. did you guys get a chance to tour with any like quote-unquote bigger hardcore bands um we do like little weekends with other bands and then our very last tour that summer tour before we kind of ended was with a band called ruiner mm -hmm. uh, from from maryland and that tour was like you know for this part it's with you know x band and then the yeah. y band like that was a pretty momentous tour for me because we got to see all these at that time in american hardcore like all these kind of bigger bands throughout the south and the east coast mm -hmm. uh, so that that was a really fun one that to me that was like the big payoff of doing that band. yeah was like we were finally validated by some other bands and would, would actually you, having a good time on tour and would you say that band would be the first one that really showed you kind of the business side of 
of the music industry because obviously you're getting bigger tours, bigger bigger chances. So things are changing a little bit more so than show up at this this Legion Hall, play for 15 kids, and then leave. Yeah, I mean, and and the extent that I was the person responsible for booking shows and managing merchandise and mm. all that junk, uh, but you know, still even the bands we were supporting or touring with, it was still a very at heart DIY thing. Where, yeah. You know, the bands were in charge of it. It wasn't really booking agents or it wasn't managers or anything mm-hmm. like that. We were, we were kind of running the show and responsible for taking care of ourselves. And by my recollection, it was still very much the wild west where you'd get to shows and it's like, who's in charge? Are they actually in charge? Yeah. Are we going to get paid at the end of the night? You know, yeah. are we going to sell merch? Is our van going to explode? Which it usually did. <laughs> and I, and I got asked, since you said you were up here, what was your first impressions of Winnipeg? Or do you really remember too much of, of Winnipeg that first kind of tour through? Um, I had, I had so much fun the first time. So the first time we went to Winnipeg wasn't actually a tour. Actually, both times regret went to Winnipeg. It was just like one, one off. Okay. We drove up, I think we played Fargo and then we drove up and we played with a band called hollow ground. Mm -hmm. uh, If you remember those guys, I do. And we played at a a cultural center of some kind that I don't really remember the name of the West end cultural center, you know, maybe, but I feel like I went to the West end later on in life. Yeah. And that was like a bigger place, right? Like kind of an amphitheater. Oh, uh, slightly. Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't like a basement type thing or anything. Yeah. I I mean, this was like a ground level one story, like art on the walls, like graffiti on the walls or something, um, which was fun. And then the second time was at the Garrick with Comeback Kid, which was obviously great, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, we got to, we spent a little more time there. I think we were there for all of 48 hours on that trip. Okay. Right away, like we had so much fun there uh, because our guitar player in Regret you know, he was in a band called Holding On and he filled in with Comeback Kid briefly. So he knew a bunch of people in Winnipeg where when we go up, it was like, what's up, man? You know, you, know, you just immediately know a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, and Winnipeg and Minneapolis have always had a very like clear channel of reciprocity. Yeah. Like, people from Winnipeg are always down in Minneapolis for bigger shows. Right? Yeah. So you get to know those people really fast. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been down there a few times. I, the last time I was down in Minneapolis was for the last show at the Triple Rock. Oh yeah, awesome. And, and I don't again that whole night was. I remember getting to the Triple Rock. Yeah, that's about where that yeah. ends. That's yeah, th- that's a big part of its legacy. Is mind <laughs> and I was hoping that the borders would be open again, where we could go down because. Um, Bad Religion and Alkaline Trio are playing, and I would love yeah. to see that show, but I don't think they're going to be open quite yet no, by the time that show is happening. It sucks. But. but, eh, whatever. It saves me some money, and I do. I love Minneapolis. It's such a beautiful, clean, nice city that I can't wait to go back. Well, it's such a funny thing that people in other parts of the continent, I don't think, can grasp that you know, Winnipeg and Minneapolis are like what, eight hours apart by mm-hmm. car or something like that. Yeah. But they're still relatively close for you and I, like you grew up in Saskatchewan. Yeah. It's, you have to drive to yeah. go to like other cultural centers. So did I, like yeah. that's just the way it was. It's like you either go to Minneapolis or you drive five hours the other way to Chicago. So for us going eight hours to Winnipeg, 
uh, was, was no big deal. And yeah. same thing for people from Winnipeg coming down to shows. It's like, well, that's just what you have to do if yeah. you want to go do the, this cool stuff because you, otherwise it's what, 20 hours to Toronto or 24 hours to Vancouver for us, so, you know, yeah. something like that, or it's like, it's not going to happen. So. Yeah. Or we'd go to like maybe Calgary, but yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. There, there's exactly. no point. It, yeah. And at that point it's just easier to fly because who, yeah. who needs all of that? So yeah, I always, I always felt pretty immediate kinship to Manitoba because it was, you know, even over some places in, the states like going to new york and los angeles or mm. florida for the first times felt like foreign countries to me yeah you know, from coming up in wisconsin and minnesota whereas manitoba it was like it's a foreign country but i feel like we have more in common there's like some more cultural crossover definitely and i mean the fact that we all definitely hunker down for the winters and nobody can believe that you know what we have to deal with and how we deal with it it's like it's it's the same. You're only eight hours away. You're getting the same shit we're getting and it's not fun. And yeah. I think that just breeds a different kind of person. Yeah. And you're just isolated. Like you, that's why Winnipeg has such a strong, you know, music community and Minneapolis does too. It's mm -hmm. like, you're, you're isolated. Um, but you also draw a lot of talented people from 500 miles away yeah. because again, that's your option, right? Yeah. If you're in Manitoba or Saskatchewan, or if you're in North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, it's like, we're probably going to end up in the Twin Cities. So yeah. it brings in a lot of like-minded, talented people from all over the place. It's cool. And, and so after regret kind of, you know, the sieve finally, fi <laughs> finally bled us dry, finally went dry. <laughs> where, where did you kind of go to from that? Cause it sounds like you're very much, you, you left the, the, the kind of pop punk in the dust and picked up hardcore kind of full bore. Yeah, I mean, my, and, and that whole, you know, hardcore has had been basement shows and that whole world kind of absorbed most of my adult life from mm -hmm. like seven, 17 on or whatever. Um, and so actually while regret was kind of winding down, my friend and I started a band called arms aloft, which is still active and out playing shows right now, actually. Nice. Uh, and then while regret was like officially done and I was just kind of waffling at my job and not really figuring out what to do, I ended up joining Comeback Kid at that point. And how, how did that come about? Because I mean, obviously you said you played with them here in Winnipeg, but <clears throat> how were those kind of introductions made and how did you meet the, uh, the guys from Comeback Kid? Well, that, that goes back to that Winnipeg Minneapolis connection, mm -hmm. um, Comeback Kid had Kevin Call playing bass mm -hmm. really early on, who's a Minneapolis guy. Um, when Scott Wade quit and Andrew moved to guitar, or sorry, Andrew moved to vocals, they got Casey, who played in Regret, to play guitar with them. Oh, okay. So, so Regret and Comeback Kid were really closely related. Yeah. And um, when there, there was a period where it's kind of seemed like Kevin was, he was maybe on his way out and me and I was good friends with him and Casey and they would talk about that. And I didn't think that would happen. So, cause to my 22 year old brain, I was like, well, why would you not want to do that? Right? Yeah. The greatest thing ever. Um, and I would jokingly say like, well, if he ever, you know, dumps out, I'll, I'll play bass. I can handle that. Yeah. And, you know, we'd laugh about it. And then he really did. And 
Casey called me out of the blue in winter 2007. It's like, hey, Kevin's going to leave and we have this tour. Do you want to do it? And without a moment's hesitation, I was like, yep, yeah. absolutely. I'm in. Um, Cause I was so dissatisfied with what I was doing with what was going on at home. Mm-hmm. Arms aloft was picking up, but um, it, it seemed like there was space to go do it. So I was like, yeah, of, of course, why not? I mean, so just like right place, right time. Yeah. They're, they're, they're picking up, but they're not come back yet. Like, well, and, and, you know, there's this whole side story where I knew my, my now wife, uh, was living in North Carolina mm-hmm. and I was trying to figure out a way to get down there to be with her. But I was such a, like, so risk averse. I was like, well, how can I leave this job that I absolutely fucking hate to move <laughs> in with my wife? Yeah. Uh, clearly I can't leave this job. Um, and then it was almost like comeback. It gave me the permission to be like, well, job gone. Yeah. Bye-bye. Uh, and now I'm kind of free floating and I can go be with my wife, which was what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, girlfriend at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and I've, I've gone back and played with arms aloft over time. Like those guys are my brothers. Those are Eau Claire people who I love. And, um, it's just never worked out that I've been able to align with them. Um, joining with comeback, it wasn't, wasn't like an ambition thing. It was Mm -hmm. just like here's a cool thing I can go do that'll free me up. Like, honestly, like give me permission to stop doing this like redundant shit I'm doing at home in Eau Claire. Yeah. Just like get on with my life because I wasn't that person who I didn't have that initiative at the time, you know? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it gives you the freedom to, you know, you go on tour for three or four or five months or whatever, and then come hang out with your girlfriend, now wife, and you can just go hang out with her and not, be in a job that you fucking hate and you just don't want to be there one and the first tour i did with them it was like hey you do you want to come fill in on this tour Mm -hmm. they weren't offering me a spot yeah and it didn't matter to me either way i was like whatever like i'll blow up my life at home Mm -hmm. and go do this tour and then we'll put it together i'll figure it out after that i'll move to north carolina i'll whatever i'll go to grad school i'll do something that's not what i'm doing that i hate um but you know I, I don't know if I had sneaking suspicion or what, but, you know, through that first tour by, you know, three quarters of the way through it, they're like, Hey, by the way, we've got this Japanese thing with propaganda coming up. Like, do you want to do that? I was like, well, fuck yeah, of course I want to go do that. <laughs> of course like, you want to do that. Yeah. Like, I, I'll be the first person in my family that's left the country without a gun in their hand. Well, like, why wouldn't I do that? Like, yeah, yeah let's go do it. So it, it kind of just went that way. And so then, and, then, then they offered up, you like a, a, a full-time member. I don't want to say membership, but it's like now, now, now you're in the band. Kind of. I mean, the way comeback kid operates, they were just so it, it's such a driving machine. They just like go, go, go. And they get these opportunities and they just say, yes, like mm-hmm. the next five tours are planned and they aren't really thinking too much about like, who's going to get in the van and go do it. Yeah. Cause it's like the guys in the band, obviously. And they're like, well, if, if I had like stomped my feet and said, I'm not going to do it. I want this and this. They would have said, okay, peace out. Like we'll get the next person to do it. Yeah. Cause it's just such a like next man up band. almost. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, they've got, they, they have the work ethic where they're just going to push forward and do it. And I didn't realize that like when Casey asked me to do it, I thought, Oh, they will be very discerning. And like, there'll be an interview process mm-hmm. and all this other stuff is like, no, it's not like that. It's just like, 
the hair is on fire all the time. The next tour is happening and we yeah. have to get out and do it. And so how, how long were you in Comeback Kid for? You said you, you joined up in 07. Uh, from then until like 2013. Okay. So did you get a chance to, I, I don't know the Comeback Kid discography at all, but did, did you get a chance to get into the studio and record with them? No, I, I actually never did. So I, I was always, it, it was a weird thing where it was kind of like, like I mentioned in the beginning, they thought, well, you're going to fill in. We might want to get a Canadian guy to be a full-fledged member because mm-hmm. there's all kinds of implications of, you know, work visas. Yeah. Or, you know, Canadian funding or whatever. Yeah. Um, so they did 2010, I think, Symptoms and Cures. I I was in the practice space with them and we worked on songs a little bit. And then they just went and recorded them, which I was completely supportive of. It was like, I was two years into the band at that point. It's yeah. Like, I mean, maybe actually I was probably a year into the band, two years. By the time they started tracking that, I was like, well, yeah, why would I, why would I force my hand and try and be a part of it? And yeah. then by the time they started writing the next one, that's when I, I knew that my time had kind of come to an end. Mm-hmm. So it just never worked out. And they're also a slow moving band in between records. Like mm-hmm. they take three to five years to do them. So and when you blink of an eye, when, when you saw the end kind of coming at in around 2013 ish, what, what was that? What did that look like? Was that just kind of like, you knew you were, this had kind of run its course. Well, I had, you know, my then girlfriend, fiance and I were planning on getting married. I had this professional life I was working on. Um, I had this whole kind of outside life that I was always kind of ramping up along Mm -hmm. the way. And I think I just had a feeling of after that many years on tour that I was like, I, I don't know if it's for me, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Sure. Yeah. When you're 22, it just felt like, why would you do anything else? Yeah. And I never, I never felt like, why would you do anything else? And, and then a few years into it, then I was 29 or 30 or whatever, not that old, but I just felt like, I don't love it. I'm turning into a grump. Yeah. I'm the shithead who's saying no to things or being quiet in the band and maybe just not appreciating it as much. And then it kind of dawned on me, like, maybe it's just not for you and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like get out of it. And that kind of, that kind of corresponding with the other personal life stuff that I mentioned, it, it just kind of became obvious. And there's such a, like, there's such a great band and they're lifers. Like that's come back. It is their life's work. Yeah. And they've, they've put a lot of years into it and they're very sincere about it. Like they're not doing it for any other reason other than like, that's who they are. And mm-hmm. That's what they're going to keep doing. And when it became clear to me that that's not who I was, it's like, well, why should I hold them back or slow them down? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, you know, with, with the other band I was in arms a lot, eventually I felt the same way with them. I was like, if I'm going to be the guy who's always saying no, because I've got work or these other obligations yeah. or my heart's just not in it. Like you cannot slow other people down when their engines are full steam ahead. Yeah. hundred percent. That, that became obvious with Comeback Kid at a certain point. And was it, was it tough for you to have that discussion with them and be like, you know, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. Or do you think, you know, they, they've seen enough folks kind of come and go in that band that they, they probably saw it coming as well? Uh, 
no, it was absolutely brutal. It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, we were, um, we did this long tour where it was like Australia for two weeks or something. And then Southeast Asia for another 10 days. And, um, my wife and I kind of made the decision halfway through it. That's like, okay, I, I can't go on the next one. I need to let them know. And it was like four months out from my wedding or something. Yeah. Um, and I remember I, I just, I was trying to like work up the courage. I'm not a confrontational person. Like mm -hmm. I never quit jobs, like stuff like that. I was just not good at yeah. it. Um, and we got, we were in Thailand, like on a night off and we were absolutely bombed. And I was sitting with four of them. I was like, I got to tell you something. And Andrew wasn't sitting there. I was, <laughs> I was like, uh, I can't do it anymore. I'm quitting. Like I, I'll do as much as you guys need me to do, but I, I just have to be done. And, you know, then Andrew came to the hotel later and we all had a nice, uh, hearty cry about it. Like, yeah. It just sucked. Like I love those guys. And I, you know, I think they enjoyed having me there. At least I like to think so. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's, you know, from the inside of it, again, if you're a lifer, you're like, well, why wouldn't someone want to do it? Mm -hmm. I think. And, you know, it wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy decision for me to come to either. It's just, I think I knew, and I, one thing I'll give myself credit for is that I've never been shy, you know, the same way when I joined them that I just like stood up and quit my job that day. Yeah. It was like, I've never been shy about knowing that when I have an opportunity to change or I, I have a good chance to do something better, like I'm, I'm not going to take it, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I think I just knew like, here's the window to go do this. And you know, I miss it. I miss it all the time. And I still talk to those guys all the time. Yeah. I just knew, I just yeah. knew it was done. No, that's, that's, I mean, that's completely fair. And I think that's great that you realize that because that's just gonna, if, if you just keep doing it and going through the motions, I just feel like it's one of those things you're just, you're not going to have fun. You're going to possibly regret wasting maybe another 10 years of your life and just, you know, it's just not worth it. <clears throat> yeah. And, and I can recall some shows towards the end, you know, before I told them for sure. Um, some shows where I was like grumpy or had a bad attitude and just wasn't there for the right reason other than obligation. And I, and I have some regret about that. Actually, I was like, you know, in retrospect, five at the time when you're 28 years old or whatever, five years seems like an eternity. Mm -hmm. You get older and it's a, a fucking blink of an eye. And yeah. I wish, I wish I could go back to that time and be like, look, as much as you're fixated on the next thing or moving on, you should savor this because it's so short. And there were a lot of times where I would force myself to like, hold still, close your eyes, take a deep breath and appreciate like how good life is right now. Yeah. You're going to move on at some point, but you know, that versus the real day-to-day -day grind of it. I don't think I always had the best attitude. And so after you leave Comeback Kid, was that kind of, was there a down point in your life where you're just like, okay, I'm, I, I've, I've done this for five years. I've done it hard for five years. It, it's time to take a step back. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I jumped into my, I got married almost immediately after. Mm -hmm. I mean, my last tour was April and I got married in May. So it was oh, wow. like, I just immediately transitioned to my next phase of life. I, I was two years into the career that I still am in now uh, that I was doing part-time at that point. And it was just like, just full steam ahead. Cause I was excited about where life was going. So yeah. there was, there was no like, 
sudden depression of, oh, I'm, n- I'm never going on tour again or anything like that. It was yeah. Just, I, I'm just on to the next thing. Yeah. And so after, you know, you know, you got married um, and then when, when do you start up your next band? So, so me and some buddies, you know, when I, in the middle of being in Comeback Kid, my wife and I moved back to Minneapolis from North Carolina and some friends here were like, well, are you going to do a band while you're here? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd like to. And you know, we did this band that was for fun that put out one seven inch where the whole point of it for me was let's be as laid back as possible about it. Like, no, everyone was into their jobs. Everyone was, you know, past their touring age. All yeah. Everyone had done that, but it was like as little expectation as possible. Mm-hmm. So it was meant to be an extreme opposite of what I had just come out of. And we found that it was like, it was too far in the extreme. It was like, do we care? Do we work at it? Yeah. And I, I was used to this like hyper professional go get them attitude in bands. Yeah. And so I found it hard to strike a balance between how do you not try, how do you not be a try hard, like douche about it, but at the same time, like take music seriously, which I do very much. Yeah. I love writing songs and playing guitar or whatever. And, um, we, we just never found that it was, it was just kind of like that. Ah, are we going to practice tonight? Nah, like the wilder playing <laughs> yeah. or I got to work or whatever. You know, yeah. I just don't feel like it. My back hurts. We're right. Good. Exactly. It was like, it was total <laughs> old man. It was total old man time. I mean, it was super fun. Yeah. Like, go back to the roots of go back to the practice space and have 20 beers and yep. just jam songs yeah. without any expectation, but you know, results may vary. So, which I mean, you know, you're married, have a kid, or did you have a kid at that point? Uh, no, not at that point. Okay. But I mean, you know, you're married. It's just kind of like, you just want to hang out, do nothing really. And just have, have fun with the guys. Yeah. And and that's exactly what it was. It's just that it had a short shelf life. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we tried and, um, we played a lot of great shows and had fun and made a seven inch that I think is cool, but it was just never like, really sink our teeth into it um but i'm friends with those guys like we joke about it still yeah. and everyone everyone is still playing in bands it just you know it's one of those things where it's like a cool transitional thing of what works and what doesn't and so i mean your your newest band <clears throat> desperate acts how does how does that kind of all all right so i mean you you have the the new band Desperate Acts. How does that kind of come into being after you know? I'm I'm sure there's a few more bands between the that last band you mentioned and and the and the new one. But how does you know? It, it seems like you're taking this a little. I don't want to say a little more seriously, but it it a little more seriously, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a kind of attacking that balance, you know, like I talked about, it's like the pendulum swings both ways. Right. Um, I did rejoin arms aloft and make a record with them in the interim, but those guys are just so they have so much opportunity uh, and they still tour a little bit. So they'll go, you know, hit the road. And I was like, yeah, I can fly, fly and play fast here or there, but like, I can't really be the guy that you deserve. So. Yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of lived through half a record cycle with them, but then, so, um, Carl desperate X drummer 
had also moved back. He was in Los Angeles and moved back to Minneapolis and just said like, hey, is, are you interested in doing anything? And I, I had these demos on my computer that were not really going anywhere. They were like, I don't know if they were scrapped from Arms Aloft or the band that I was doing previously, Deep Cuts. Um, but I sent them along. It's like, well, here's something I kind of have. And he was immediately like really energetic and positive about it. Like, well, maybe mm. we can get together. And, and we got together and just started jamming it out. And, and Carl's very like, he, he has a real orientation about the way he does things. It's like, well, let's, let's write three more songs and then mm -hmm. let's record and then let's put them forward. Like he works in music. So he's very, he's very attuned to the infrastructure of like how things work and comes from the same background as you and I, like yeah. came up through DIY or whatever. Um, so him and I having that background of like taking things way too seriously, <laughs> but also now being like old men with families and responsibilities, yeah. families and responsibilities. It was like, well, what's the balance here? Because we, we want to make the best music possible. We want to play as well as possible. We just don't have the time or the energy to attack it the way we would have when we were 25 or the way some of our peers are still doing in their bands. Right. Mm. So that's what this has been a project in. It's like making the music is an art project um, and a labor of love that we put a lot of energy into, but what is the output on the other end? Like we can't tour, we can travel and play shows, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you can't, we, we don't have the time to over, over pursue it. So we're hope I'm hopeful that, you know, we have this open ended, experiment of well what can we do or what can't we where will we fall short mm -hmm. what can we try and accomplish and <clears throat> you guys released uh before the 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 new album uh state secrets you guys released a an ep right yeah yeah we put out an ep sometime i, I want to say in 2019 like okay covid um which was really like our it was kind of like a demo mm -hmm. I, I mean we did a demo before that but that was like you know, the first six songs we had really written as a band. Mm -hmm. Like, let's, let's see how these go. Um, so the new album is a much more cohesive set of songs. Like almost again, like the pendulum swinging really far in one direction where it's like four of us really hunkered down, wrote 20 songs to get down to the 10 songs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and did the best we could at that time with the resources that we had. So we're, yeah. We're proud of it. And so when, when you guys were writing for, for state secrets, was this during COVID? Like, was this when everything was kind of shut down and was it all remote or was this before that, like the whole, the whole world shut down? Well, it's a funny thing. We had, you know, whatever batch of songs, let's say 10 songs written mm -hmm. and we had plans to fly to Massachusetts and record the full length. We had bought flights for, may 2020 so <laughs> this was like january or february yeah. 2020 we were sorting this out and then COVID happens we go well shit that's not happening mm. um and and at the time it's like well how long will this down period be we don't know i mean we didn't go into the practice space together for months and months yeah for safety reasons yeah um and then i used that time to go back and spend a lot of energy writing and refocusing on songs. So mm -hmm. we laugh about it now, but 
the record that state secrets became is vastly different than the one that was originally intended to be recorded. Did, did you do, are any of the original, like, like you said, 10 songs you guys had record or recorded, um, ready to go for the record. Did any of those make the cut on, on state secrets? Yeah. Half of them did. Okay. So, so we still retained half of it, but I think, you know, the five strongest songs on the record, four of them came after the fact, which is what we laugh about. That was mm-hmm. like, what a weird thing that we would have put out into the world if we had, if COVID hadn't happened. And yeah. we've gone to work with Jay and, and just knocked out what we had at the time. And, th- and that that's a pervasive thought for me all the time. It's like, the songs you have right now, that's the best you can do right now. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we keep working at it or keep yeah. piling them up, you know? Do you ever find it hard to put like uh, a song on the shelf and just let it like, even, even if it's done, like if it's, if it's like you said, as good as it can be right now, do you, do you find it hard being like, well, I don't know if this is, you know, I don't know if people should hear this and you just kind of leave it on a shelf. Cause like so many bands have a huge kind of back catalog that no one will ever hear or they'll hear it, you know, big big artists have it pot posthumously or whatever when they're dead then it shit starts rolling out but do you ever find it hard to like leave it on the shelf and just never let it see the light of day i'm better at it now Mm -hmm. i'm better at recognizing when a part is like i think this is cool but it's not going anywhere uh especially as a a vocalist and not a very good one i've gotten a lot better (laughs) at trying to gear stuff towards what are the melodies that i like what do I enjoy singing? What feels like us? And if I don't have, you know, 32 bars of a song with a strong vocal identity, mm-hmm. I won't send it to the rest of the band. Because what has happened is I've demoed these, you know, I'll use GarageBand and track all these drums and all these guitar parts and send it to them. And then we'll spend all this time and mental energy invested in like learning that song. And then I realize like, this isn't in a key I can sing in or I don't have a melody for it. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what's the fucking point? Yeah. Investing all this energy. So now I've told those guys, we move a lot slower, but when I send them something, it's like, this has an identity. This has mm-hmm. a chorus and lyrics that I connect to. And you'll see, trust me, just wait and see. Yeah. But I'm better now when I'm playing guitar at home. It's like, I, I love this part. This is cool. This has to be a song. And if it doesn't transition into another 16 bars or if it doesn't have melody lines that stick with it it's like just put it away yeah maybe eventually something else will stick to it and if it never does oh well but don't like try and shoehorn a bad Mm -hmm. song into existence because you want it to be there yeah i mean again that's something i i think you learn with age is like not everything needs to come out and be be in the world if it if it's not meant to be it just it doesn't need to be there yeah i i think you learn so much of that i think most of us figure that out the older you get i think the truly transcendent musicians among us are the people who figure that shit out Mm -hmm. when they're like 17 years old and they you know they just like they have that old soul skill set yeah all right this is this is the good stuff this is the bad stuff keep writing keep writing and the rest of us are just like throw it all out there. It's all awesome. I'm great. And then, you know, you're embarrassed of it a year later. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to lie. As I was listening to um, 
the, the new record, again, like I said, I'd like to go into everything a little bit willingly ignorant. And so I didn't really read the write-up or anything when, when Melanie sent it to me. Just threw it on, on my iPhone, have it in the car or, you know, for a run when I'm going for a walk. And I, I, I didn't know, like, anything about the band, any, you know, who's in it, all that stuff. But immediately I was like, holy shit, this is, this is like the punk rock that I love and that I find very, it's, it's very much lacking these days in what is coming out. People are putting out now. So it's, 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 I I mean, it's a great record. It sounds really good. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm not going to lie. The first, the first song drying out near the very, actually it was just about the very, the last couple lines. It really hits. It kind of sounds like a weaker thans song a awesome. little bit. Like it, it's just the way you guys ended it. And I'm like, this sounds like a weaker than song. And then the line, a joke that if you knew you'd laugh, I was like, that sounds like something John K would say or write. I, I appreciate that. I love the weaker thens and I love John K. Sampson and that is not that's not a comparison we've got before. So it has to be your your Winnipeg roots that are <laughs> uh, that are bringing that through. But it, that's a I mean Carl and I have talked about that band before. We love the weaker mm-hmm. thens and um I you know at, to your original point of like you know you and I are are, are from the same generation and grew up with a lot of the same bands and interests. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a funny thing about desperate acts is like, there's very little influence taken after like 2005 or something mm-hmm. for better or worse. Yeah. Like this is just the shit I like. Yeah. And this is just what happens when I pick up a guitar and play guitar. Like it's not intentional or forced, uh, which I think is a kind of a cool thing of mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I, I imagine right now if you're 18 years old or 25 years old making one of your first records you're very in tune with and influenced by and beholden to like what's happening around you right this second yeah and i i follow a lot of new music i I try and be you know be an active listener Mm -hmm. and an active art appreciator but you know the stuff that's in my dna and in my hands is 20 plus years old and that's just the way it's always going to be so i go back to the stuff i was into when i was that age which is like what you just mentioned so yeah you know we've we had a uh a german magazine review the record and essentially made a a comment which is a very german comment of like this is music for old guys i'm not sure if the world needs it or not (laughs) you're that is you're 100% right. Like I, I don't think the world needs it at yeah. all, but I like playing music. And unfortunately that's, what's going to come out when I sit and play music. So yeah. I, if nothing else, it's at least, you know, honest. I was going to say, but God damn it. Us old guys need something too. Like, come exactly. on. Yeah. we've got <laughs> Because there, there's so much, and I don't want to say pop punk, but like, I don't want to pigeonhole the sound, but like pop skate, whatever that sound is um, it just doesn't exist unless it's coming from people of a, of a certain vintage 
And there, there's right. a few younger folks that are, are doing an okay job of it and like tweaking and improving, which I think is phenomenal because everything needs to evolve and change. But there's something about when, you know, old, older, older folks just play the music that they love. It just comes out and it feels like a warm blanket. Yeah. I, I love, uh, getting old and realizing ju- that I just like the shit I love yeah. and this is what it sounds like uh, and- for better or worse. And yeah, like people making new music, like who are in the heat of the moment of being a young person, like going through the punk world, like it's a beautiful thing that they're doing stuff that you and I wouldn't have done mm-hmm. or wouldn't want to do now. And even when I roll my eyes at some stuff and feel like, God, that is, it just sounds young. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, well, good. Like it should, I, yeah. like I should be, I should feel like somewhat ostracized by things that are happening right now. And you, and but, I'm, I'm sure you hear more of that having, you know, having a kid and you know, they're, they're listening to stuff that's not probably in your wheelhouse at all, but you have to hear it. Right. Yeah. And they're, I mean, my oldest daughter is just starting to get into like, I mean, they both notice songs. Like we ride around in the car and listen mm. to the radio and, and they notice stuff and go, I like this or I don't like this. Here's what I do like about it or don't. Yeah. What it compares to, but I can only imagine like by the time they're out, you know, putting their stamp on the world, what's yeah. it going to be like? And it shouldn't necessarily make sense to me or no. it shouldn't, it shouldn't necessarily like resonate. And if like every once in a while, it's almost like, when you and I, if I, if I talk to my peers and they're too easily like drawn to that or resonate with it too well, like mm-hmm. you're almost suspicious of it. Like, yeah, you, you put on a show right now or like, is this like <laughs> teen emo band actually sound good to you? Is this, yeah. is this what you like? You yeah. I, I think the last quote unquote teen emo band solo artist that I listen to, I only listen to when I'm running because it's a great record to run to because I can just turn my brain off, listen to like the, the rhythm and it suits my cadence perfectly is the, uh, the new machine gun Kelly record. That sounds like a blink One Eighty Two reject record that, you know, is left on the cutting room floor. But there you go. Just just savor that and hold on to it and and be young for. Yeah. And it's it's great. It's like he, he's going through shit and that's great. And he's sorting it out. I don't necessarily want to hear it, but I went through it too. And yeah. <laughs> it, it's great to run to. Yeah. And, and, you know, luckily you can put Spotify in private. So your friends don't know. That you're <laughs> to it. Unless I mention it on a podcast and then I just bury myself completely. Shit. Fuck. I'll just edit it out. Whatever. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. Exactly. Um, so the new, and I also want to task because the, these folks have been doing a great job of releasing really good punk rock rock whatever you want to classify it as but how did you guys hook up with i'm gonna fuck up this name so bad so bam spam bam yeah yeah uh how did you guys it, hook up with those guys we don't know <laughs> they uh we we had this idea because we we financed and recorded the record ourselves mm-hmm. knowing that it would take some time and and we you know we've had this inner conflict of like do we want to shop around or like get someone else to put it out? Cause we know we're not going to like tour heavily or whatever. Like we'll, yeah. we'll play shows. We'll do everything we can to like, we don't want anyone to lose money, especially friends. Yeah. Um, but you know, it'd be cool to get some help with it, you know, to, 
you know, you put effort into it. You want yeah. people to hear it. Right. Um, and we, we sent it around to a few people, but it was kind of half-hearted. It was like, Hey, check this out. Or, and, and someone somewhere passed it along to spam and, and they were super receptive right away. Like, Hey, we like this, you know, here's what we would want to do. Like, would you want to come to Europe at some point? Uh, and, and we're like, well, if, if you're into it, here's our deal. Yeah. And, and are you cool with that? Like we essentially finance the record ourselves and we'll just hand it to you mm-hmm. and whatever you put into it is totally up to you. Yeah. Um, that way it's, you know, it's, it's not like we're, pulling the rug on anybody it's like hey put a bunch of money into our band and now we're never going to do anything about it yeah it's you know they've just been super cool and carl works over there quite a bit um spam is a austrian based label for Mm -hmm. listeners who don't know and he works over there quite a bit speaks german deals with that part of the world a lot so we have this kind of like other connection that it's like we're, we're on the same level with them and they put out a lot of bigger bands so they're comfortable with us being, you know, small potatoes as yeah. we're, and, and we're very comfortable with that. <laughs> Cause yeah, I saw that and I'm like, I, I love everything that, you know, everything from the, the fest, the festival that they do to yeah. the music that they're releasing to the music that they're re-releasing, which is always kind of like, I always want to buy the records, but I'm like, okay, I got to pump the brakes a little bit because shit gets expensive shipping up here. Like even, even right. from the States, it gets stupid expensive, but yeah. And, and we've tried to, you know, we, we actually took on pressing CDs here in North America mm-hmm. and then shipping some back to them. And I think they're, they're in charge of a vinyl, which is like on this global shortage right now. So yeah. God only knows when we get the vinyl, but I mean, we're lucky that we're at a phase in life where it's like throwing some money at it. Yeah. It's, you know, we're not going to beat each other to death over it. It's like, we, we want to do right by them and make sure that, you know, we're more than pulling our weight in the deal because mm-hmm. again, we're, we're not going to make anybody money. We're not going to do enough to like justify a big investment. So we've tried to really treat it like a partnership and what can we do to, honor their interest in us and what they've done for us, which is super cool. And we're very grateful for. So, excuse me, the, the new album state secrets out now. Uh, I know if you head over to Sabam records, you can pre-order the vinyl, which you said, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll show up at some point, hopefully. Yeah. And if people want to check out more about desperate acts, where, where should they go? Uh, you know, we've got all the usual social stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us on, you search Desperate Acts on Instagram, I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, and then the record is up on the usual suspects for streaming like Spotify. Um, so, you know, check it out. And, you know, luckily you're, if you're a young person nowadays, you don't have to buy a record to learn that you hate it anymore. You can go stream the whole thing. It's and very true. You hate it. Uh, and then still buy it, please, so that I can continue to do do podcasts with my buddy here. And and I I highly suggest if you're an old person like me, get ready to get warm or um, wrapped up in a warm blanket of of you know punk rock that 
you didn't know you loved, but you're going to love it by the time you get through the first song. I guarantee it. Yeah, put it on at 8 o'clock, and by 8.35, it'll be over, and you're in bed. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sitting down and talking to me, and I hopefully we'll get a chance to uh, come down to Minneapolis at some point because – well, I, I really hope we'll we'll make it up to Winnipeg because one of my goals with this is, you know, from having spent so many years being able to tour, it's like you make all these friends in all these places and you have to come to the acceptance of, you know, I'm not going to get to go to them five times a year anymore. I, I, mm-hmm. It might not happen, but Winnipeg is one of those places that was like a second home to me. So I hope that'll be one of desperate acts missions. It's just like get up and play at some point with buddies one way or another. Uh, but yeah, you, you come on down to Minneapolis and, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep a nice, comfortable, uh, lumbar supportive chair ready for you <laughs> and anyone else who's ready to dip their toes in with us. Awesome. Thanks again, Matt. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, there you go. There is my conversation with Matt from the, the vocalist from desperate acts. Like I said, I really love discovering new music and talking to new people. And you know what? We, I learned, maybe I should have known this beforehand, but like most of my podcast episodes and my conversations with people, I like to go in very willingly kind of ignorant, if you want to call it that. So learning that he played with Comeback Kid for a good long time was, I mean, that was incredible. So you can definitely hear how, you know, that has influenced this new band and it's... Like I said, go check out Desperate Acts. It's it's phenomenal. It's 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 a really good the new album State Secrets out on Sabam. Uh, check the uh, the description for all the links and everything where to go, how to pick it up. Um, I'll put all that on there for you. So thank you for to Matt for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it, and you know sharing his story, sharing his journey. As cheesy as that sounds, but it it's it's. It's what it is, right? And as always, a uh, big thank you again to uh, Melanie KPR. Yeah, Melanie KPR for putting this all together and introducing us. And it's, uh, I can't wait to uh, head east and go to Toronto and go to some shows and hook up with a bunch of friends that I haven't seen with in so long. And Melanie, you're one of those people. So thank you for continuing to support the podcast. Thank all of you for continuing to support the podcast, even though, you know, I took a, took a little bit of time off, but sometimes you got to do that just for your own kind of mental health. And as always, I like to play some songs from the band after the podcast. You can choose to listen to them. You can choose not to listen to them. I highly recommend you choose to listen to them. Um, the first song is the, the title track from the album, State Secrets. It's called State Secrets. So there you go. There's that one. Then uh, next up is I Am Trying to Impress You, also from State Secrets. And then why not? Let's just finish it off with the the intro track called Drying Out. Uh, again, thank you everybody for your continuing support. And I hope everybody enjoys it. See you later.
glasses out We're staying in To talk about Cleaning healthy blood Better skin That you could love Show up to a corner store